And you're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, also 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is the 22nd of April. Uh, it's still 2014. And today I want to wave my feminist fist in the air and <laughs> I want to jump to Gertrude Stein. I've been reading to you, um, all my fabulous essays on the Brontes and I guess I I guess it's the weather. It's just so beautiful and I, I just can't handle any more Anglican angst, any more Victorian oh, what is the word? Lugubrious, sad stuff. Uh never mind. Uh I love them the Brontes. They are my my uh what is it? My my role models for years and years, but I need to swing, yes, that bipolar swing I have. I need to go all the way over to France. And uh I think, yes, I think that uh Gertrude Stein is a better choice than George Sand. George Sand, I will save her because she is such a, a wonderful creature for scandals and her her life is probably more of a, what is it, more art in her life than in her her books. It's a question. Uh, I do like some of her books, but she was one of those people, if it's possible, who wrote too much. God bless her. She wrote in order to pay the bills. Now, that's a story that needs some study, because those of us who do art for art's sake, we really have a little problem with the people like George Sand who really, really are pragmatic and they need to uh, feed their families. Actually, George was a very wealthy woman. It's complicated, isn't it? Uh, anyway, 19th century, 19th century. Gertrude Stein never had a job. Gertrude Stein, uh, many people think of as an elitist. Uh, actually, she had a decent income. Her uh, brothers, her father, the men in her family, took care of the money. Um, she didn't have a lot of money. She said that, well, you know, you can buy 
pictures or books. Um, she said that she couldn't really afford um, expensive clothes, but she did want to buy the pictures. Makes sense to me. Uh, she did have a cook. Anyway, I'm not going to worry about uh, that money thing. I, I know that it's exciting to think that women can do it all, but uh, I kind of think that if you go back a generation or two, you're going to find that uh, it is the thing women need. That is money, a room of one's own, and uh, what was it? Wolf said, uh, "What is it? Thirty thousand a year? Uh, what was it? She had a month. I can't remember. Anyway, money, 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 money. Uh, last week was a fundraiser, and I wasn't here, and so I'm saving up." The last of my Bronte stuff, and I'll, I'll save it up for when the weather changes again. And I'll tell you a little bit about Gertrude Stein, because there are still some KPFA listeners who love this stuff. <laughs> this is this is a piece that I've been working on for years, and it's called Genius is What Happens When You're Looking for a Way Out. That's Gertrude Stein. Civilization, said Gertrude Stein, begins with a rose. Now, if art is civilized magic, then the three roses of Gertrude Stein are the magical mystery of modern poetry. When Gertrude Stein was lecturing at the University of Chicago, a young student in her seminar asked her for the meaning of Rose is a rose is a rose. This was her answer. Now listen, can't you see that when the language was new, as it was with Chaucer and Homer, the poet could use the name of a thing, and the thing was really there. He could say, Oh moon, oh sea. Oh, love and the moon and the sea and love were really there. And can't you see that after hundreds of years had gone by and thousands of poems had been written, he could call on those words and find that they were just worn-out literary words. The excitingness of pure being had withdrawn from them. They were just rather stale literary words. Now, the poet has to work in the excitingness of pure being. He has to get back that intensity into the language. We all know that it's hard to write poetry in a late age. We know that you have to put some strangeness, something unexpected into the structure of the sentence in order to bring back vitality to the noun. Now, it's not enough to be bizarre. The strangeness in the sentence structure has to come from the poetic gift, too. That's why it's doubly hard to be a poet in a late age. Now, you all have seen hundreds of poems about roses. And you know, in your bones, that the rose is not there. 
Now, I don't want to put too much emphasis on that line because it's just one line in a longer poem. But I notice that you all know it. You make fun of it, but you know it. Now, listen, I'm no fool. I know that in daily life we don't go around saying, da-da, is a da-da, is a da-da. Yes, I'm no fool, but I think, I think that in that line, the rose is red for the first time in English poetry for a hundred years. <laughs> That's a quote from uh, uh, Thornton Wilder's introduction to uh, his book, Four in America, all about Gertrude Stein. Anyway, there's more of that lecture that she gave uh, when she came here. <laughs> she wanted to explain about the excitingness of pure being, she said. Uh, her lectures in America were a hoot. Uh, <laughs> she says, exciting. That is exciting, yes, being exciting is not the same as being excited. An artist, she said, must be exciting, not excited. Oh, like history, this takes time. One of the most common rebukes directed at Gertrude Stein during her lifetime and even today is that she is or was precious, that she indulged in art for art's sake. Now, I have to come right out and say that it's true. There was never any question about it. Listen, I'm not stupid. I know that in daily life today, art for art's sake is verboten, especially when there's no money in it. The phrase is a curious one if you think about it. Cyril uh, Gautier, G-A-U-T-I-R, is a Frenchman, yeah. He wrote an essay called, uh, yes, Art, yes, art for its own sake. Uh, 1834, he denounced art that intended to be utilitarian or draw moral or to serve any cause. You know, uh, uh, revolutionary, political. Oh, dear. Now, he wrote that anything useful is ugly because the useful expresses need. And the needs of men, he concluded, are disgusting. <laughs> well, I, for one, don't think Gertrude Stein found human needs disgusting. I imagine she believed artistic expression itself was a human need. She, Stein, needed to think. She called her process conscious consciousness. At the same time, she liked being the very human being that her little dog knew. Art did not dehumanize her. Here's what she writes. I found another essay where she says, uh, Aha, she says, hmm. If you are a thinker, you will change the language. You will not use words the way others do. There you go. <laughs> you want people to sit up and say, what? Hmm? Say again? Yes. Anyway, uh, her process was conscious consciousness. And she liked being human. Uh, 
She adored all her bourgeois comforts, and she liked the bohemian and lesbian pleasures of living in Paris early in the 20th century. She was very, very concerned about meeting all her own human needs, and she did not find them disgusting. She did distinguish between human nature and the human mind. For her, this distinction was not that mind-body cross of modern despair. It was a release from biological definitions. It was the liberation from sex roles, the freeing of her mind from the prison of her body. Much as she loved Alice Mitoklas, Gertrude was first and foremost a Steinist, a narcissist in the sense that she was in love with her own reflective soul. She said that human nature is not the human mind. She wished to sort out her thoughts and to distinguish them from her feelings. Now, I don't know, this was probably a good idea, but <laughs> I think today intellectuals take it too far. Uh, the thought-feeling thing was my big hang-up when feminism got started. I, I kind of thought it was all the same thing. Uh, I used to use a, a little slash when I was typing things up. I would write, uh, I, uh, I think slash feel. Editors would write back and say, choose, choose, decide what you want. <laughs> I said, I don't know which it is. If I think this thing, I probably feel this thing. Anyway. Uh, as Stein says, if you're trying to change the language, you will not use words the way the others do. What she did had not been done before. So some resented it and some laughed at it, and almost nobody would publish it. There was no money in it. Well, not until she was nearly 60 and even then, it wasn't for what she considered her serious work. Uh, it was for a charming pseudo-autobiography of Alice B. Toklas, which Gertrude Stein wrote uh, because Alice couldn't find the time. It was published in 1933, yes, the year I was born. 1933, my mother got me and the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas. <laughs> Uh, the book is a collection of anecdotes and stories about the eccentricities of Gertrude Stein's friends in Paris, the painters and poets of the time. It was humorous and original, but as Gertrude Stein herself has said, remarks are not literature. Now, all about that world of Paris expatriates. Uh, here is Sherwood Anderson. Uh, he wrote... It was a time of a kind of renaissance in the arts, in literature, a robin's egg renaissance. It had perhaps a pale blue tinge. It fell out of the nest. It may be that we should all have stayed in Chicago. <laughs> After the popular success of the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas, Gertrude Stein was creatively blocked. She says the money was funny. 
She felt that recognition had come for her personality, not for her work. She had trouble getting started again, and she wrote a detective story that was titled Blood on the Dining Room Floor. It's all about Alice's cooking. <laughs> In our pragmatic, materialist, even barbaric world, the practice of any craft which is not done for profit is, by definition, the work of a dilettante or a genius, which was Gertrude. I think the evidence suggests she began writing in order to dig her way out of a Victorian identity crisis. I think she was in a psychological cul-de-sac brought on by the knowledge that she was a lesbian and a rather insecure lesbian at that. Uh, as a young woman, she describes herself as, quote, rather desperate, unquote. <laughs> Check out a work called Things As They Are. It was not published until after her death. It was, perhaps, Gertrude's rather desperate inner life which drove her to write, and then, finally, her art took over. The it, she says, you are when you are creating something, yes. When you are not the you, you are when you are you as your little dog knows you. <laughs> Gertrude Stein needed a muse, and so she found Alice Babette Toklas, a wife for life. Yes, from San Francisco. Now, a muse who can say yes to your writing and who is also a terrific cook, is enough to turn anyone into a genius. At first, the work was a way out, and then it was a way in. Finally, for Stein, writing was a religion. Uh, William James told her that anything you do all the time is a religion. In Stein's worldview, consciousness was religion, right? She said that in the 20th century, consciousness replaced the soul. Hmm. Right. Any final or total attitude toward life can be called a religion. Might as well, yes. Oh, dear. Hmm. I guess a pragmatist, yes, is the same as an atheist. Who knows? Anyway. In that sense, I think her work is religious because it is forever concerned with finalities, of which there ain't any. Uh, she always said that she wished to be historical, so now she is. Now, there is this question of meaning. Did she mean it, what she wrote, that is? Did she make any sense of it? The meaning of it. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, but really, finally, it does not really make any difference. Are there too many theirs there? Is it there where she is or isn't, or did she make that up? Sometimes, just as she says, it does make sand, just as with everything else. Where there is is certainly a question. Where is there and where is it not? 
not in Oakland, ha ha. But she did love California, and she loved space. She said that here on this coast, the west coast of California, yes, she said there was more space where people were than space uh, where they were not. No, no, no. And that was very lovely, yes. Things are very lovely or very interesting or not. She wasn't into adjectives. She told Hemingway to cut the adjectives. So Hemingway became a very masculine writer. Uh, Stein was his father figure when uh, he was young. Then she went after the nouns. When she wrote Tender Buttons in 1914, she explained... In tender buttons, and then I struggled on. I struggled ridding myself of nouns. I knew that nouns must go in poetry, as they had gone in prose. If anything that is everything was to go on meaning something, ah, then she went on and on about the feeling in the verbs, and the meaning in the nouns, and the meaning in the morning, and the feeling in the evening. She and Alice both loved vistas and views, and Alice said Gertrude loved a view, but she liked to sit with her back to it. With all her love of open spaces, Gertrude never met Isadora Duncan when they both lived in Oakland. Isadora dancing on the beaches and living right down the street. Stein wrote, two things are always the same. The Dance and War. When at last Gertrude did meet Isadora Duncan, <laughs> the Duncan Ménage uh, ran into her in Europe. She dismissed them as, quote, carnival people. Oh, dear. Remember, Gertrude Stein was a Republican. Uh, well, that was before Republicans were what we know as Republicans. Uh, they were conservative, though, in 1914. Stein was not into dance as far as the feet go. There is a description of her at a dance, gently swaying to and fro and then stepping first on one foot, then on the other. All that was in her, of course, the dance, but it was not in her human nature. It was in her human mind. She wanted to dance in her mind. As Virginia Woolf says, the glow comes when we light the light at the base of the spine with good food and wine, and the light becomes a language, a beginning again being existing. A footnote here. Last week I was watching one of my favorite movies called uh, Babette's Feast. A splendid movie about some uh, Calvinists, I think they were, Lutherans, Lutherans. Some Scandinavian folks who uh, were terrified of sensuality, of food, and of, uh, let's call it, romance, and uh, Babette prepares them a feast, and all of a sudden, they find that they love one another. Anyway, in her repeating, Gertrude Stein uh, 
wrote, she was going on being existing. What people love, they repeat, she said, and what they repeat, they love, of course, not always. Now, personally, I get tired sometimes of her run-ons and ons, and they are like the the uh, begats in the Bible. You can skip over them if you like, still. Uh, they are not there just to hypnotize you. They are there to be going on existing and be getting being. They become being. Sometimes the repeating says something. In the opera Four Saints in Three Acts, there is a chorus that wed, dead, dead, wed chorus that goes on repeating those two words. And yes, that says something. <laughs> wed, dead, 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 wed, wed. She wrote a long gay book. We can count in that book hundreds and hundreds of gays, gays on page after page. And yes, that says something. It says something about how many gays there are in it. Some people say it is Gertrude Stein who gave us the word gay, gave it to us to mean what it means. Others deny that. <laughs> anyway, people look for messages in Gertrude Stein. You remember the old theater joke, you want a message, call Western Union. In fact, there is a message. Gertrude Stein's songs are about freedom. They're about the structured anarchy at the bottom of things, repeating, she says, is in everyone. In her big book, The Making of Americans, she tries to get to the bottom nature of everyone who is coming to be someone, to find out all the kinds there are and were of every kind of a one, while she herself was only all in one. One who is not coming to be one who is a kind of a one. Of course, at first she was. She was the usual kind of a one, a lonely one. A woman, a lonely lesbian woman born in Victorian 1874, and a Jew, too, with dark dresses, collars up to her ears, and overweight always, and when she was in love, often there was a triangle, and that hurt. She looked to learn to live, and part of her heart is the Black Flower Malanta, a story in her 1902 book, Three Lives, subtitled Each One As She May. Malanta is my absolute favorite Gertrude Stein uh, book, novel, poem. It's a kind of dramatic monologue. It's the history of the process of a passion. It's about the search of a young black woman to find fulfillment or anyway to get knowledge of being. She looks for this knowledge in other people. And so, at last, she loses herself. When I was uh, teaching high school students, I liked to use Malanta, or each one as she may, alongside Toni Morrison's book, Sula. Uh, written 80 years later, but it's, again, all about a young or a black woman who is looking for herself, looking for liberation, freedom. And, of course, uh, uh, they both die, but that's beside the point. Aha! Uh, uh -huh. Anyway, somebody told me once that Melantha, 
Well, after all, uh, she needed to get into therapy. She was just blocked. Yes, I said. Psychotherapy is the study of self-deception. But, fortunately, psychotherapy did not come along until after literature. Today, of course, psychotherapy has damn near done away with literature, but never mind. We still have theater. In everybody's autobiography, Gertrude Stein writes, one of the things that happened at the end of the 19th century was that nobody knew the difference between a novel and a play, and now the movies have helped them not to know. But although there is none, there really is, and that is the reason I write plays and not novels. Oh, dear, uh, I have to stop here. I wanted to tell you about something before I run out of time. I am going to read you more about Gertrude Stein. <laughs> I got my master's thesis on Gertrude Stein, so <laughs> there's an awful lot of stuff. Uh, I wanted to tell you about a uh, docudrama on television that uh, is a must-see. It's called Years of Living Dangerously, and the problem is it's on one of those premium channels uh, Showtime, it's the most important show, uh, political show, well, I guess uh, environmentalists will want to look at this one. Uh, it's a documentary series on climate change. Uh, you can get episodes one and two on demand. It's got all the celebrities and scientists you can imagine. Harrison Ford, Matt Damon, it's done, created by James Cameron. Uh, 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 Arnold Schwarzenegger helped produce it, which is not, not, not negative, but, uh, let's see, the, my favorite woman in this show is America, uh, 